Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Good evening, everyone. And I'm going to say good evening instead of good time of day, because hopefully you're listening to this in the evening hours before Brisbane and St. Kilda kick off round 22. This is Americans Watching the Footy. I'm Ethan Castle. I am Benjamin Castle. I'm still here in the Bay Area, South San Francisco, California. Ethan, you're in someplace else again. Where are you now? Yep, I am in Erlinger, Kentucky, which is just across the river from Cincinnati. You know, just like Gold Coast is very close to the New South Wales border, a lot of American cities are close to state lines. Portland is pretty much right on the Oregon-Washington border. Chicago is very close to both Indiana and Wisconsin. And Cincinnati is just across the river from Kentucky, which is where my hotel is. So you may understand now that I am in Kentucky, adjacent to Ohio, two of the four states that border Springfield. But enough about that. Tonight, we're here to talk about something much more important. We are finally going to answer the most pressing question of our generation. White and gold or blue and black? What color was the dress? You know, sometimes we've done these list updates before round, but this is kind of more of a just conversation between the two of us on recent happenings of the AFL. I'm hearing Professor Farnsworth from Futurama saying good news, everyone, but it's not necessarily good news, so it's just news, everyone. Make this update episode above anything with the list, which are definitely interesting, but let's talk about everything that happened with Patrick Cripps, because when we were recording our round preview, we knew that the appeal to the appeals board was happening around like six something our time this morning, Pacific time, that is. The decision was handed down and Cripps is able to play. I'm shocked that the suspension got completely overturned. I thought it could get reduced to a game, but for it to get completely overturned blows my mind. The deliberations, according to ABC, took an hour and 45 minutes just between the chair and the two jurors. I would love to know what caused them to completely pivot on this because it's such a change of direction from where things were. It's not like there's any new evidence or anything. So what what was the impetus for this? That's what I want to know. Well, David Zita, digital reporter for Fox Footy, put out a somewhat brief summary on Twitter. And it looks like really the onus is on the tribunal for kind of bungling the case, saying that they had found that both players were contesting the ball. But Cripps was also in the act of bumping Kalamachi. And those two things kind of oppose each other in terms of intent. And so I think what it's implying, at least from my understanding, is that had the tribunal presented a cleaner case, the suspension would still be upheld. Well, that seems like the right sort of thing to go to an appeals process for, you know, where it's not about the decision itself, but more the process that the decision was reached. You know, it's kind of like taking a case to the Supreme Court. It's like usually, at least within American politics, it's not about just innocent or guilty, but about sort of the process that was used. However, the fact that Cripps' suspension was erased does, of course, go against precedent from earlier this season regarding head injuries. And while the actual act that resulted in the injury itself may not have been the reason why the appeal was launched, the fact that it's been taken off the board still has major ramifications and 
You know, you're looking at comparisons to suspensions like Brayden Maynard in the community series, Marlon Pickett during the home and away this season. And this is a complete pivot from what's been understood regarding head contact and the player initiating that contact, having to shoulder the blame for it. I'm particularly thinking now of Patty Ryder from round three. What I think can come out of this that is positive is that, you know, if this Crips and Achi incident is an inflection point for discipline, as I tweeted out earlier today, then maybe we'll see a shift toward intent being valued more in match review and the tribunal rather than impact. It's hard for people, whether they're the most casual fan or former players, to accept that these head injuries are part of the game. And I know that we definitely have an outside perspective in that somewhat because we are not by any means these top level athletes or even athletes at all, really. But there's no way that things are going to completely go away. I think there are reasonable steps to take to try to limit injuries as much as possible while still understanding that sometimes they're just going to happen. The other thing that I expect to see from this is that the AFL will shore up its own policies in the offseason as it relates to the effects of a tribunal decision and also probably internally making sure that things are stricter on their end so that they don't suffer this embarrassment again because the fact that this appeal was successful opens up a whole can of worms regarding what other cases can be appealed, why they can be appealed. I only see more confusion resulting from this. I hope that this takes us more towards a logical system where we can kind of see and predict how things are going to play out with the tribunal. But yeah, there's definitely room where this could just end up leading to more confusion. I hope that's not the case, though. If we want to stay on the subject of confusion, I'm personally confused after Port Adelaide decided that Ken Hinckley will officially be staying on for the 2023 season. How's that for a fucking transition? Uh, You've done better. But yeah, club president David Koch said that Hankley will be staying on through the end of his contract. Vote of confidence based on the home and away form that they've had in years leading up to this. Port have had the knack for beating up on bad teams during much of Hankley's tenure. And I think that definitely skews the statistics in terms of win loss and maybe percentage as well during his tenure. Last year, they had a lot of close games go their way. This year, it was the reverse for the first part of the season. The pieces that have led them to a lot of their home and away success in recent years are going to be aging out soon. Charlie Dixon isn't young by any means. Travis Boak is likely near the end. You know, Robbie Gray could be playing his final game next round in Showdown 52. They have promising young pieces. We've seen a vast improvement this season from Connor Rosie. Zach Butters is getting more in tune with the rest of the group. Todd Marshall is one of the purest kicks for goal in the game, but I just don't know what another year of Hankley's management will do. And when there's a big fish out there in Alistair Clarkson, who was previously at the club as an assistant for Mark Williams in 03 and 04, the questions become even more prevalent. Also, of course, there's that statistic that Hinkley has now coached the most games at a single club without leading him to a grand final. He passed Brad Scott for that during this season. I just thought after last week's game, the pretty lifeless performance against Richmond, it wasn't a good reflection on Hinkley, and it just seemed like an odd time for the announcement. I think a lot of these things have just been weird timing with some of the coaching stuff, whether it's coaches announcing their resignation or coaches being fired. It's all just come at strange times, like the David Noble act swinging 
after one of North's better performances. I'm still thinking they knew in advance that it was happening regardless. That does seem like a possibility at this point. And we do know that Hinckley will have absolutely no ability to shut up critics, even with good performances to close out the season. They're playing Essendon in the final game of this round. And then, of course, Showdown 52, their home showdown, looms in the final round. Looking ahead to next season, I think Port Adelaide is going to be one of those teams that's going to be really tough to handicap. I think predictions for their record next year are going to be all over the place. Before we get to breaking down some of the intrigue with list decisions for this round, just a couple of retirements that we quickly want to address, both of which involve the Greater Western Sydney Giants. The first of them to be announced is Matt DeBoer, who last played for the Giants. His retirement is effective immediately as of its announcement yesterday. He also previously played for Fremantle, one of a very select group of players to play in two clubs' first ever grand final appearances, though he was never able to get over the hump. DeBoer is a player that I definitely have enjoyed watching the past couple years, seeing him as one of the Giants' two main taggers, along with Lockie Ash. The other retirement, like you said, has ties to GWS, though Devin Smith finished his career, or will finish his career in the next two weeks, at Essendon. He played for the Giants from 2012 to 2017, has spent the last five seasons with the Bombers, but constant knee injuries have really piled up and they have led him to retire at age 29. Unfortunate to see a career cut short like this. Fortunately, from an Essendon standpoint, he's part of a position group where they do have a lot of youth and a lot of depth, but you feel bad for the guy. Smith hasn't played since round 11 this year. His spot was questioned a lot because of poor form at the start of the season, and then the injuries piled up for him. Seems like there's a lot of respect among the playing group for him based on all the videos and testimony we've got. Same case for DeBoer. I'm glad these players are getting the recognition they deserve for the careers they had. As for the actual teams this week, we thought when we did our round 22 preview, there would be some news that would make it worthwhile to drop a list episode. And we do have some changes of note to report. So let's just go in chronological order. First off, I would say no major surprises for St. Kilda Brisbane, although I thought Naziah Wanganine Miller's reintroduction to the lineup and Zach Jones's omission were both interesting. Perhaps they're looking for just more speed coming out of halfback, maybe having Wanganine Miller as someone who can kind of play on the opposite side of Brad Hill and have him attack that way. Much of the best of what we've seen of St. Kilda this year has come from good speed on the wings. When it comes to the Brisbane Lions, of course, Kalamachi is concussed. It may be hard for some fans to see Patrick Cripps playing when Achi is injured, but again, you can't just go Hammurabi-style eye for an eye and say, he's out for as long as the other guy's injured. It just doesn't make sense for things to work that way. Marcus Adams was also concussed late in that game, so Jack Payne and Jackson Pryor are going to come in, replacing those two. We were thinking that Mitch Robinson would stand a good chance to stick around and be the medical sub again, but he's been managed, which is an interesting decision. No idea what to read into the emergency selections for Brisbane this round. Darcy Fort's been selected a couple of times there, but with only Rowan Marshall to go up against, and with better form from Dan McStay, for some reason I'm feeling that we might see Kyle Lohman's return to AFL action as a sub. Should also note that Zach Jones is listed as an emergency for the Saints. Moving on to Saturday, 
you've got three changes for the Western Bulldogs. That one's just really fun to say with an Australian accent trying to mimic Gill. We do that a lot. Western Bulldogs. Ryan Gardner, Lockie Hunter, and Stefan Martin in. Alex Keith and Riley Garcia omitted, and Josh Bruce managed. Keith being omitted makes me think, had he not been concussed in the VFL last week, Buku Thomas would be back in. Nice to see Lockie Hunter get another go. Meanwhile, Stefan Martin has definitely forced the issue with very strong form as of late for Footscray. Fun seeing a bit of a taller setup for the dogs, having two ruck options in there again. Allows for a lot more flexibility for Tim English, who is probably the most versatile true ruckman. I would like to see Josh Shackey in there after his monster VFL performances, but their forward group has played pretty well, so it's a little bit tougher to find a spot for him. Ethan, I know you are very thrilled about Greater Western Sydney putting Callum M. Brown back into the half-forward group. I'm not sure if I expected it or not, because they've done some questionable things with their list management. Hopefully he actually stays there. One player who I could definitely see not staying there is Harry Himmelberg. He's been listed at half-forward as well, along with Brown and Jake Riccardi, but Himmelberg has such good capabilities in the back that he could be a player that gets moved around all sorts of places, especially if Nick Haynes ends up taking a decent amount of ruck contests because Braden Proust is injured, so it's going to be Kieran Briggs as the main ruckman, and then Haynes backing him up in all likelihood. For Adelaide and North, the Crows figured out a way to bring Tom Duday back in. He's going to be in the fullback line along with Jordan Butts and Josh Worrell, who's had a couple strong games since getting back into the main group. Also very excited that Riley Philthorpe will be in. Elliot Himmelberg has found himself in a tough spot this year. He's had good form on a couple occasions. I thought that after what he did in Showdown 51 that he could have locked down a spot for the long run, but he's been going back and forth a bunch this year. However, the big stories come out of the selection from Arden Street. You know, there's the huge uplifting in in the form of Ben Cunnington. Surprisingly, Ben McKay is actually going to be playing in this game as well as being at the G later in the day. Jackson Archer, son of Glenn, back in. Um, but they took out the South Australian who would have been playing in his first game back home. Yeah, I don't think any of us saw it. A Jason Horn Francis omission coming. He's been a little quieter lately, but considering where North are in the scope of their season and that he was omitted rather than managed makes me think there's more to this than just he hasn't played well enough. I think there's something either he did something or there's something the coaches don't like. I don't know. This smells like much more than a typical omission. There have already been plenty of rumors swirling around Horn Francis going back home. Maybe he's made it clear to the club that he wants to go now, and this is their way of letting the door hit him on the way out. I just can't read any positives into this situation at all. Also, Hugh Greenwood omitted. He's usually been one of their better guys possession-wise. Gold Coast and Geelong, couple of ins for the Suns, Sam Day and Sam Flanders. Jeremy Sharp omitted. Nick Holman's out injured. On the Geelong side, we do, in fact, have a couple more guys managed this week. Mark O'Connor, Mitch Duncan, and Isaac Smith. Smith surprises me a little bit after the three-goal performance he put on last round. And clearly the Cats are confident that not having a super strong tag on Tuke Miller won't come back to haunt him. It sounded like Smith might also be dealing with some injuries. Reading what Chris Scott said the other day, said it was doubtful for him to make the trip. 
Luke Dollhouse's omission was no surprise. He was the late in for Dangerfield this past round. All of Mark Blitzov's Patrick Dangerfield, Gary Rowan, and Joel Selwood are in as of now. We'll see if there's any late Chris Scott change. You know, maybe like O'Connor gets thrown back in or something, but I don't think that's the case. Again, this is a team with a lot of leeway to rest guys, which is a great position to be in. If anything, I think O'Connor would be the one to come back in. I think they actually are resting Duncan. Melbourne and Carlton, no changes for the Ds. Surprised James Harms isn't back in over Jaden Hunt or something. Carlton welcomes back Mark Pittnett, who was managed last week, along with Liam Stalker. I was really surprised to see Tom DeConing omitted. I think he's being misused. I don't think he belongs as a ruck, but I think he's a second ruck who can also play a really physical role in either 50. And I don't know why they would take him out, especially considering some of their defensive struggles. That's a guy that I would have in maybe just move to a defensive role, even though, you know, as we've seen with Cam and Zach Guthrie, you can't just expect a guy to play like his brother, especially when they're not even at the same club. But there is some defensive skill in the family. That's pretty clear. I'm not ridiculously surprised, actually, by Harms staying out. It's clear that Angus Brayshaw playing more in the middle is working. And with how crowded that area is for Melbourne and with Brayshaw's marking ability, I was thinking that Tom DeConing would have been a really fun, perhaps beneficial matchup to impede Brayshaw on that front. I know Blues fans are thrilled about Liam Stalker being back in. Neither of us, though, see what they see in him. I think he's an upgrade over what was in there. I still don't think he's, like, particularly special. For Western Derby 55, Sam Switkowski is in over Matt Taberner. Taberner dealing with a calf injury. That was expected. No other changes for Fremantle. They do have both Bailey Banfield and Lloyd Meek listed as possible emergencies. Rio are really doing themselves no favors by continuing to keep Bailey Banfield out of the 22. He's capable as a sub, yes, but he's scored 12 goals in his last six games in which he's been named in the main 22. And right now, I doubt that they're going to be throwing him in as the sub because Liam Henry seems to have regained that spot. That said... I get why it's an if-it-ain't-broke-don't-fix-it thing after how good they were last week. They really returned to form. Benjamin, you're the Eagles fan. Run down their situation. Of course, the Eagles are now without Josh J. Kennedy, and this is the second of two weeks of Jai Cully's suspension and the one week of Tim Kelly's ban. Bailey J. Williams has been omitted. He's generally the second ruck option. Josh Rotham comes back in. Rotham last played in round 19. That was... His first time experimenting as a ruck and going forward. And before he went down injured, it paid off handsomely. He kicked two goals. So looking forward to him getting another crack there. Rotham's only 24, so if he can fit in there consistently, then the Eagles have another option behind Nick Natanui. And that's essential because as strong as Natanui is, he's not playing more than two-thirds of a game without getting pretty fatigued. Willie Rioli is out for personal reasons. Can understand that, especially with his father having died earlier this season. Could definitely be grief-related there. I'm not enthused by the selections of Jackson Nelson and Hugh Dixon. You know, neither of them are particularly old, but at this point in the season, I'm wanting to see the younger group. I don't know why Isaiah Winder isn't getting another crack in the main 22, and I've been really high on 
my evaluation of Greg Clark as a tackler, as a good pressure guy. He's also just named as an emergency. This is a missed opportunity for Adam Simpson and company to trot out the other group, see what they've got in a big game like this. You know, the Eagles have nothing to lose at this point. In fact, you know, some people could say a win could hurt them because it takes away the chance of them getting the first pick in the draft. There's no point in not bringing out the younger guys when they provided strong energy. And of course, you know, Lord Mayor of Perth, Basil Zempelis, knows all about energy. Thanks, Basil. Moving on to Sunday, we just have the extended team, so not a ton there. Although Nick Vlastone still being in Richmond's extended squad is a bit of a surprise. Not just being in their extended squad, he's in the 18 at halfback. So clearly his ribs are less of a concern than were initially thought when Charlie Dixon crashed into him with his knee. No confirmed changes in this game for Richmond. For Hawthorne, Sam Butler has been omitted, but we don't know who's going to replace him because everyone else who's listed as an in is just on the extended bench. Sydney and Collingwood, no changes expected there other than a new medical sub for Sydney because Ben Rock hasn't been named. Hopefully it's not Will Gold. I'm not saying that as something against the potential debutante, but I'm strongly of the belief that if you're naming someone for a debut, put him in the 22. Don't make him a maybe. Essendon and Port Adelaide to close out the round. Harry Jones omitted for the Bombers. Will Snelling out with a hamstring injury. Dylan Shield is confirmed in for the Bombers. As of now, Jai Caldwell and Zach Reed are both on the extended bench. I was really surprised on Port Adelaide's side to see Bryn Tickle omitted when you think you'd really want a ruck matchup with Sam Draper. Also, they're managing Robbie Gray. Mitch Georgiatis and Todd Marshall are both back in, and we knew about Marshall. Georgiatis was speculated. One thing I will say about not really including a proper ruckman for a matchup with Essendon is that Port Adelaide are in a position where they can kind of experiment with things a bit. So... Why not do it now, I guess? See if you can beat a guy like Draper without really having a like-for-like matchup with him. Touching back on Essendon's selection, Harry Jones has definitely not played as strongly these past couple games after coming out of the bye pretty well. This omission makes sense for him. I think next year is going to be a really big one for him, and I think he could be in a couple different roles. I currently see him as a second key option alongside Peter Wright. When it comes to Port, I'm looking forward to a whole lot of Charlie Dixon on Sam Draper, and I think having Georgiatis come back in will definitely allow Dixon to take more of those ruck contests. We saw the kind of work Dixon was able to do against another bigger body ruckman like Jared Witts, and I think that he's a strong matchup there. And overall, this no true ruck setup for Port has worked a number of times because of their strength off of those contests. Jeremy Finlayson has done very well in that regard in particular. And as I mentioned near the top of the episode, Ray's management is making some people think that they're wanting to keep him fresh ahead of Showdown 52 because game number 271 could be the last for the 34-year-old power grade. Well, we're glad we were able to record this quick little List Plus news episode. As always, you can find us reacting to news in real time on Twitter, at Americans Footy. You can find me individually at Castle Media. You can find me individually at BenjaminHK01. 
Ethan's son, Grian Harambe the Footy Cat, is on Instagram at cat named Grian. He has been extremely talkative towards me, but I know that all of that attention will completely go away once Ethan is back in about a week's time. We'll be back with you sooner than that, though, because we'll be recording our Round 22 recap Sunday night in America, Monday afternoon in Australia, and we hope to get that out to you quickly after that. By the way, the dress was blue and black. Bye.